the little hills. Okay, we're somewhere. We're not in the city. We're going to get away from the city for a little bit and worship the Lord as men together. Amen. So come on out for that. And the other thing is, uh, Pastor Tim also mentioned Discover New Life. For those of you who are new here or maybe this is your first time or you've been here a few times, I just want to reiterate what that is. That is a time for you to come after service, and it's in two weeks, two weeks from today. Right after service, you can come and sit down and ask us any question that you have about this church, about the faith, about Jesus, anything you want to ask. We'll sit down with you, me and Pastor Tim and maybe a few others, and share with you the vision of new life, why we believe God has us here what the vision is for us moving forward, and what God has already done in this place. So we would love you to come out in two weeks and hear more about the church. And next month, we'll actually be having uh, a class for those who are interested in joining the church, and we're excited about that as well. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. So I am so excited today uh, as we are about to hear the word of God. Ladies, you can come on up. You can come on up. Let's get this uh, stand right here for you if you need that stand. Oh, I can't reach it. Push it towards me. Praise God. There we go. Amen. And so I thought it appropriate because the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. Amen. They were the ones who were courageous enough to check out what was at the tomb. I'll talk about that in a minute. But we've got a couple of young ladies who will first Read for us from the Word of God. Let's stand together as we receive God's Word. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. You don't have to read aloud with us today. We'll have these young ladies share the Word of God with us. Hazel and Madison. Hazel, you're first. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Then they remembered the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who had told the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like nonsense to them. Peter, however, got up to the, and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Just remain standing for one more minute if you can. I want to talk to you today from the subject, the death of death. The death of death. Amen? Death is finished. Death has no more place. The death of death. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we are able to celebrate this day 
Lord God, in, in one sense, every day is the same for us as believers because Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And so we can celebrate and walk in that resurrection power every day. But we have set aside this one day of the year just to remember it in a special way. And I pray, Lord God, that under the sound of my voice, everyone who hears this message, Lord God, that by your Holy Spirit, you will do something in each one of our hearts. Lord, whether we've been believers for 50 years or whether we're skeptics, whether we don't know you at all, whether we're somewhere in the middle of that, Lord, there is something you want to do in each one of your people today, and we pray that you do it. So have your way, God. Have your way. And Lord, put away from us every distraction, everything that would cause our minds to be somewhere else. And Lord, by your power, help us to incline our ears to hear what you're saying to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Wow, what a day. What a celebration. I said to my wife as she sat down after the choir had finished, I said, Brooklyn Tabernacle who? <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all sounded good today. Amen. This is a day of celebration. But as I prepare to get into the word, I just want to say a few things before we actually go into the text itself. And first of all is this, that what you believe about God and how you understand your relationship to God is the most important thing that will determine the quality of your life, the power of your life, the effectiveness of your life, what your life looks like, what you believe about God and how you understand your relationship with him is the most important thing. Let me put it another way. It's more important than your economic status. It's more important than uh, where you were born or what your family of origin looks like. It's more important even than the things that have happened to you, good or bad or ugly. What you understand about God himself and your relationship to him is the most important thing that you'll ever have in your life to determine its quality. And today, we celebrate the reality of the fact that Jesus got up from the grave early on Sunday morning. I don't want to end my preaching just yet, but I'm happy already. I'm happy already because although they put him in the grave on Friday evening, although he was there all night long, although he was there on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, and into the wee hours of Sunday morning, at some point, I don't know when, but at some point, he got up out of the grave with all power in his hands. And listen, when I say what you believe about God is the most important thing, I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about the kind of believing that checks things off the box. That says, yup, I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Check. I believe that he lived a perfect life. Check. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. Check. I believe that he rose on the third day. Check. I believe that he's coming back again. Check. And we can go through all kinds of doctrines and we can make all kinds of check marks. But what I'm talking about is not just a belief of check marks. I'm talking about the kind of believing that changes everything about your life. 
The kind of believing that gets down into your bones. The kind of believing that makes your heart beat a different way because you know that you know that you know that the Savior of the world, the God-man, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead. Talking about the kind of believing that animates everything about your life and changes what you do, what you don't do, where you go, where you don't go. It changes everything. That's the kind of believing we're talking about. And today, as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the, the, the most important primary fact in the history of the universe. That is... That on that third day, death could not hold him down. That on that third day, he got up from the grave. Now listen, there's people all around this world, maybe some in this sanctuary right now, where however you're coming here today, let me just say, I am thankful to God that you're here. If you've been a believer for 50 years, I'm glad you're here today. If you're a skeptic and you don't know Christ, I'm glad you're here today. If you've never heard the gospel message, for some reason, God has you here today, and I'm glad about it. But there are people all around this world who have a lot of stories about this man, Jesus. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. You know, some call him a great prophet. Some call him a a moral teacher. Some call him a a rabbi and a great man and a miracle worker. But C.S. Lewis makes it plain. He says that it's impossible for Jesus to be any of those things if he is not indeed God in the flesh. And what Lewis says is Jesus must be one of three things. Because he proclaimed his divinity. He proclaimed that he was indeed God. And so if he did that, he is one of three things. He is either a liar because he proclaimed it and knew he wasn't indeed God. If he was that, then how could he be a good teacher or a moral man? They would not do that. Secondly, he could be a lunatic. That is someone who is just out of his mind insane. He thinks he's God, but he's not. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, but I'm going to tell you what he really is. He's the Lord. He is the Lord, and that is proclaimed more than anything else by the fact that on the third day he got up out of that grave. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that we celebrate today. And so I want to consider three things This morning, as we look at the death of death, three things as we look at this, that is the way of the resurrection. Secondly, we want to look at the witnesses of the resurrection. And finally, we want to look at the worth of the resurrection. So let's jump into the text. Luke 24, starting at verse 1, is going to tell us about the way of the resurrection. In other words, how the resurrection happened. And to understand the resurrection and the impact that it has at all, you've got to understand a little bit of the backstory of the resurrection. You've got to understand some of you were here on Friday night and we did a strange thing that Christians do. We celebrate the fact that a man died the most awful death you can ever imagine on a cross of wood. Why would we celebrate such a thing? We celebrate that Because he died in my place. He died in your place. 
Every one of us in this room and everyone outside of this room deserves to die themselves for their own sin. And there's no remedy for that. But on that cross on that Friday night, the Lord of glory died. And, And what I want you to see is that there were these women from Galilee where Jesus lived up in Capernaum, about an 85-mile walk down to Jerusalem, and they had ministered along with the, the 11 or the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles who would be called apostles, 11 of them later on, and they ministered along with them over time for months as Jesus made his way from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and they cared for him. In verse 49 of Luke 23, he says, But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This was as his crucifixion and death were taking place. It mentions the fact that these women were watching him. So when Jesus died, there was a man, part of the ruling council of the Jews. His name was Joseph. He was from a a town called Arimathea, and he went to Pilate and asked if he could bury the body of Jesus Christ. And we learn in John's gospel that another man came alongside of him, Nicodemus. Some of you remember Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night in the third chapter of John and Jesus schooling him on doctrine, saying, you must be born again. And Nicodemus seems to be cowering and scared, but when Jesus dies, Nicodemus comes out of the woodwork. And along with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus comes, and the Bible tells us that Nicodemus brought all of these things to embalm the body of Jesus Christ. In the NIV, it says 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes in order that he might embalm the body of Jesus. And so Joseph has a grave that he has set aside, and that would be in a cave. And in that cave, there would be at least eight different chambers for bodies, but the Bible says that it was a grave that had never been used before. And so he takes the body to the grave, and at the end of Luke 23, verse verse 55, the Scripture says that the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. They wanted to see exactly where the Lord was. Can you imagine for a moment what these women are going through? Have you ever had all of your hope invested in one thing? Invested in one thing. If you take that and multiply that and put that on steroids, that would tell you in some way what these women are going through because they had invested all of their life in the fact that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was in the one that they had hope in, and now they see him mercilessly crucified on that cross. And yet, even in that crucifixion, there's strange things that happen. You remember how brutal it was, how they put the crown of thorns on his head, how they whipped his back so that there's no skin left on it, how they put the nails through his wrist and through his ankles and how they hung him on that tree and how they spit on him and brutalized him and punched him and hit him with clubs. He's gone through all this so that Isaiah says his appearance wasn't even like a man. We see pictures of Jesus on the cross that uh, are are well-meaning, but he looks pretty good except for some blood coming down from his brow. 
but he was beaten so mercilessly, his face was beyond recognition. They see this brutalized man on the cross, and as they hurl insults at him, the women hear his words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What kind of man is this? And even as he dies, we see in Luke's gospel, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, no man, no person took Jesus' life. He gave it away. He gave it away for you and you and you and you and me. These women are struggling with this reality and in verse, at the beginning of verse, chapter 24, we're told that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So they had been preparing ever since he was put in the tomb to prepare more spices, although he was already embalmed, whether it was uh, another part of the embalming process or whether it was to honor him, they had fastidiously put together these spices and perfume to anoint the body of the now dead Jesus. And early on Sunday morning, they go out to that grave. They go out to that place. And we read in the scripture in verse 3, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He's not there. We knew exactly where they put him. And now we're going to look at all the other potential graves in here. He's not here. He's not anywhere. Look at verse 4. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. We learn from Matthew that these are not just mere men. These are indeed angels who are at the burial place, who are at the grave of Jesus Christ, and they see as they're wondering what is going on, they have what I call a suddenly moment. There's a suddenly that happens, and some of you know what I'm talking about in your life. There is a suddenly moment that can change everything about your life. Let me tell you about a suddenly moment I had about 35, 36 years ago, something like that. I was at this church, and there was this pretty young lady at the church. She's sitting right over here right now. And her name was Harriet Givens. And Harriet and I had done ministry together. We worked with the kiddies in, in, in the kids' church. And we worked with the youth group, and we had driven to church together. We'd done a lot of things together. She had been engaged. I had been engaged. Both of our engagements broke off. And so I knew her, but I remember one day. Can you stand up for me a little bit, boo? Just stand up for me. Just stand up. Come on, boo. Stand right over there. Stand right over there. We were at a party with some folks from our church. I'd love to embarrass her on a Sunday, but I'm not looking forward to Sunday afternoon. But we were at a party with some folks from our church, and I remember at that party, I'd seen her a thousand times. I've been with her in so many different ways, but that day I turned around and I looked across the room and I said, Glory hallelujah, I think I see my wife. You can sit down, boo. 
I don't know if I was prophesying or not. All I know is she's still here. She's still, that was a suddenly moment that changed my life. Let me tell you one other suddenly moment I had. It was a couple years earlier than that. I was a freshman in college, and I was a young man who had no idea where he was really going. I had a Christian roommate and another roommate who was very religious, just like myself, and I was finding out finally for the first time that though I was religious, though I went to church, though I said certain prayers, that I was just as lost as lost could be. And I began to see sin in my life in a way that I couldn't deny it anymore. I couldn't cover it up anymore. I couldn't keep making the excuse that at least I don't do X, Y, or Z like these other ones do. I began to see that my sin problem wasn't out there. It was in here. It was me. And I remember one night, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, in my dorm room, just crying out to God. I left my dorm room. I went into the lounge of the dorm. I got on my knees, and I said, God, I can't stop my own sin. I need help. I need a Savior. Lord, I want to be born again. That was a suddenly moment in my life. And the Lord put people around me to point me to the way of Jesus Christ as the only Savior. Some of you here today need a suddenly moment. Not just if you're not a believer, but maybe even if you are a believer, you need a suddenly moment to quicken your faith once again, to believe God all over again. Listen, we need to know, and look, I want you to see this question in verse 5, because this is the question that, We all need to answer. In verse 5, the women are frightened. They bow down their faces to the ground. And the men say this to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? In the Greek, it says, Why are you looking for the living one? It's a singular. Why are you looking for the living one among all this deadness? It's plural. Dead is plural. Living is singular. Why are you looking for the singular source of life in the midst of dead things? What are you doing? Why are you looking for this? And this is a question that we need to ask ourselves. I hope you'll ask yourself this question today. Are you looking for life among dead things? Are you looking for life among dead things? I remember as a teenager myself, I was an awkward teenager, believe it or not. I know I'm, I'm so smooth now, it's hard to believe. Not. But I was as tall as I am now. I was six foot two, but I was one skinny dude. I mean, you can't, I can't even describe you how skinny I was. I was so skinny that I had to run around in the shower just to get wet. I was a skinny, skinny person. And I was awkward. I had body image issues. And, you know, I was a little bit of an athlete, but not the greatest athlete. So I tried to hang with some athletes, but I didn't really fit. I was kind of smart, but I wasn't the brainiac of the class. So I tried to hang with those folks. I had some folks who uh, were druggies around me. One that sat right next to me in every homeroom I ever had. He was my friend too. I had all these different friends, but I found myself morphing like a chameleon into all these different things because I didn't know who I was or where I fit. The reality is we'll never know that until we find out who we are in Jesus Christ. 
give you one more illustration of it. One of my favorite movies is Toy Story. I know there's a bunch of them, but I'm talking about Toy Story 1. And you know, many of you know the story. In Toy Story, there's two main characters. There's Buzz Lightyear and there's Woody the Cowboy. And Buzz has a problem because Buzz doesn't know he's a toy. He thinks he's the real Buzz Lightyear. And there's a scene in the movie where Woody is just fed up with Buzz and his thinking that he's something he's not. And Buzz tells him, he says, the, and the fate of the entire universe is in my hands right now. And Woody says, what are you talking about? And Buzz takes a little walk and looks at the night sky. And Buzz sees, says these words. He says, right now, poised at the edge of the galaxy, the Emperor Zerg has been secretly building a weapon that is able to annihilate an entire planet. And I alone have the information that reveals this weapon's only weakness. And you, my friend, are keeping me from my rendezvous with Star Command. Woody can't take it anymore. Woody says, you are a toy! You're not the real Buzz Lightyear. You're an action figure. You are a child's plaything. Buzz still didn't get it. He says, you're a sad, strange little man. You have my pity. Farewell. Buzz goes on with his life. But here's the thing you find out as you go through the movie. Eventually, Buzz figures out that he wasn't living in reality, that indeed he is a toy. But in the end, he finds out the glory of the creator's purpose for him and the wonder of being a toy and, and loving this little boy who owns him, Andy. And I, I say all that to say this. When we don't know our maker or our purpose, we're like Buzz Lightyear thinking that we're something that we're not. We're trying to fulfill a purpose that we were never designed to fill. But when you understand that in God you live and move and have your being, when you understand that you are a child of the living God, a son or daughter of the Most High King, when you know who you are and whose you are, there is purpose and joy in life. Scripture goes on to say in verse 6, the angels say, he's not here. He is risen. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is not here anymore. He's not in a grave. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen. In verse 3 of Luke 24, it says at the end of that verse, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's interesting that in Luke's gospel, this is the first time that he uses Lord Jesus. He's talked about Jesus many times. He's talked about Lord many times. And if you read through the book of Acts, which is the companion volume to Luke's gospel on the history of the early church, Lord Jesus is all over there. But this is the first time he uses that phrase, the Lord Jesus. Why? 
Because it is the resurrection that attests to the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, God in the flesh, who came to take away our sins. He is the Lord Jesus. And they say later on, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinners. He must be crucified and on the third day be raised again. There is a mustness about every part of the life of Jesus. He had to be crucified. He had to live a perfect life. He had to die the death that he died, but he had to be raised again on the third day. And the good news is he's coming back for his own one day as well. This is the how of the resurrection, but let's look at the Second consideration here, the witnesses of the resurrection. Who saw it first? We see at the beginning of verse 1 in, verse, in chapter 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices. The first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ were women. It wasn't the 11 minus Judas. It wasn't some random dude somewhere. It was these women. Don't know how many exactly. In the scripture today, it names three by name and then gives others as well. But there were women who were the first witnesses. This is important for us because it authenticates the reality of this Bible that you hold in your hands, that it is true and it is real because if The first witnesses were women, and they wrote this down in the gospel. It wouldn't make any sense for them to write that down. Now, why is that? Because among the Jews and among the Romans, a woman's witness would not stand up in court. No matter what a woman said, they would would say, well, that's just a woman. We don't even want to hear it. It doesn't stand up against a man's testimony. Why is it that this Bible records in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the first witnesses were women? Because Jesus' view of women was not the same as first century Jews. Jesus' view of women was not the the same as the Romans. Jesus' view of women was that they are the first witnesses. Jesus' view of women was an exalted view of women. And he records it so that we'll know that indeed women are these first witnesses. If they were writing this to persuade people, they never would have put that in there. They would have skipped over that part, but they didn't, thank God. They tell us about these woman witnesses, and it goes on to say, we get a few of them by name in verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others. Now, Commentators aren't exactly sure which Mary, Mary the mother of James is, but we are sure of the other two names that we see here. Joanna is one of them. It's interesting that Joanna is one of the witnesses of the resurrection. We see earlier in Luke's gospel in chapter 8 that Joanna is the wife of a man named Cusa. And Cusa is the business manager for Herod Antipas, who is the tetrarch of Galilee. And in the gospel stories, Herod Antipas is the one who had John the Baptist murdered. He chopped his head off. In the gospel stories, in the chapter right before this, we see that Herod Antipas is also one of those who tried Jesus on the night. 
Pilate sent Jesus to Herod Antipas, and he tried him. And yet this woman who is married to his business manager is one who follows Jesus. With all her life, she follows Jesus. And then there's this other woman we read of. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is the one that we see in all the gospel stories, the only name that is in each one of the gospel stories. And if you read through the gospels, you see that she seems to have a place of prominence among the women in in a way similar to how Peter might have a place of prominence among the male disciples. She is the first listed very often, sometimes the only one listed. And Mary Magdalene is an important witness of Jesus Christ. Her name comes from Magdala, which was the town that she lived in, which was on the Sea of Galilee a few miles south of Capernaum where Jesus' headquarters was. But in Luke chapter 8, we hear that Jesus had healed this woman. Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 says, And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases followed Jesus. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Mary was a woman. If there was ever a person who was troubled, if there was ever a person who was disturbed, if there was ever a person whose life seemed to be over, it was Mary Magdalene. She didn't have a demon. She didn't have two demons. She didn't have three demons or four demons. The Bible says she had seven demons. And in in the Bible, seven is a number of completion. In other words, there is a completeness about the destruction of this woman. I wonder what she looked like B.C. before Christ, before Jesus touched her life. She would have been a total mess, a person unable to keep a relationship, a person who would hurt and lash out at others around her, a person who may be hurting herself, a person who was so filled with demonic forces that she was no good for anything or for anyone, but Jesus touched her. And this woman came to life because Jesus changed her life. And these demons were cast out of her, and now among all these women, she will not be stopped from worshiping her Lord. At one point, the Bible tells us on another resurrection appearance, she saw the Lord Jesus, and Jesus had to tell her, don't grab me, don't get get away from me now, my time is not now, don't hold on to me, Mary. Mary just wanted to be with her Lord. And I wonder in some ways why it is that these women, all of whom the Scripture tells us in Luke chapter uh, 8, had been healed by Jesus in one way or another are those who are the first witnesses of resurrection, who are those who won't be kept from the cross and they won't be kept from the grave. And I believe it's because these women had been so brutalized in their life. They had been so hurt in their life. They understood something that someone who hadn't been through some of that couldn't understand, that my only hope is Jesus And unless I'm at his feet, I have no help in this world. He is the only one who can get me through. Brothers and sisters, my question to us today is this. Do you have any idea how much you need Jesus? Some of us think 
Yeah, maybe have some financial issues, some relational issues. Maybe I have some habits I just can't break. But I'm working on all of these things. I'm steady working on them. Let me tell you something. You desperately need Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the only help that can set you free from everything that would entangle you, from everything that would enslave you. Jesus is the hope of your life. The women got it, and they go to the 11. They go to the disciples who are there, and verse 11 says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. That word nonsense means idle talk, devoid of anything worthwhile. It means Total nonsense, humbug, stupidity. When they tell the 11 disciples who are called the apostles, messengers of the cross, that's what apostles means. The messengers don't get it. The messengers don't get the message. They're filled with unbelief, but these women believe. Hallelujah, they get it. Do you have any idea how much you need Jesus? Jesus put it this way in John 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. And then he says this at the end of that verse, for apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. There's nothing that you can do apart from the Lord Jesus Christ in relationship with him that will add up to anything in the end. But oh my God, in Jesus, in Jesus we have power. Let's move to the last scripture here. Consideration number three. We've looked at the how of the resurrection, the way of the resurrection. We looked at the witnesses of the resurrection and finally the worth of the resurrection. The worth of the resurrection. Why does it even matter to us? Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's up on the screen as well. just want to read these verses for you quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 17. The scripture says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile. That word means of no use. It's idle. It's empty. It's fruitless. It's useless. It's powerless. It lacks power. In other words, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead as a Christian, your faith means nothing and has no impact whatsoever. But he says, not only is it futile, but you are still in your sins. David proclaimed in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. But if Jesus didn't come up from the grave, you're still in your sins. It gets worse. He says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. In other words, those who have died before us. When people die, many times we look for the hope of a future meeting with them, he says, that hope is a useless hope. It's not going to happen if Jesus hasn't been raised. He says, verse 19, if only for this life you hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
Buzz Lightyear pitied Woody. But Paul is saying, if your hope is in Christ and it's just in this life, I pity you. That's a pathetic hope. But he goes on to say, verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of all of those who have fallen asleep. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see the death of death. This is our hope. Jesus Christ died and he was raised on the third day, but that is not the end of the story. He says he's the first fruits, and if there's first fruits, there's a lot of fruit left to come. In other words, if he has been raised, so will you be raised. Raised to a life of power, raised to a life of glory, raised in such a way that your body will work all the time. Your body won't have any more pains. I don't know if it has tear ducts, but it won't need them anymore because there's no more tears. No more reason to cry when we know Christ. Let me close with this scripture. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 54. This is what the scripture says. It's already been read today. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The apostle is mocking death itself. Death, you're dead. He says the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God because he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has overcome everything that needs to be overcome on behalf of his people. Sin that looked like the incredible Hulk and unstoppable power, and maybe some of you are even experiencing that in your life right now. Whether you're believers or not believers, sometimes sin can seem like an incredible Hulk. It is so powerful. It is so strong that you just can't break free. But Jesus broke free the grip of sin through his cross. And this incredible hope of sin becomes a wilting little flower under the power of the sun that can't stand up to it. He broke the power of death. Death itself. Death, the thing that everyone in this world fears. We fear death. People naturally fear death. I get it. I understand it. But he says now as a believer in Jesus Christ, death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus said, even if you die, yet shall you live. I am the resurrection and the life. Believe on me and find resurrection in Jesus. Finally, he overcomes Satan himself. That old serpent from the Garden of Eden, that that one who prowls about, Peter says, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The scripture tells us that he may still be a roaring lion, but Jesus is the best dentist that there ever was. And he took out all of those teeth. And he took off all of those claws so that if he is a roaring lion, he is a lion without the power to kill, to steal, or to destroy when you know the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. So at this point, I want to do an altar call this morning. If our altar workers can come up right now. 
because I believe God wants to do a work in this place. Come right up. Altar workers now. And I want to make a call for two types of folks today. And if you fit in this, I'm praying and I've been praying all this week that nothing would keep you from coming up to this altar and getting prayer. That you wouldn't let some struggle, what is someone going to think, keep you from coming up to this altar. Let me give you two, two sets of folks who I'd love to come up here today. Number one, if you have never known Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life, if you've never given your life to Him, today is an opportunity to do exactly that. You've heard the story of God, the Savior, who loves you. He's loved you from all eternity, and he will love you into eternity. His love will never change. If you want to know more about that Savior, if you want to, if you have some questions about salvation and want to ask someone, we're up here right now. Come on up. Secondly, if you're a believer today, but somewhere along the line, You've lost the passion and the fervency of your walk with Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the line, being a Christian has become more like painting by the numbers than it has been an explosion of glory. As we celebrate the resurrected Jesus, if that's you today, I ask you to come up today right now as well. Praying. I don't want to pump and talk a long time here. But if that's you today, you fit in either one of those categories, God has something for you today. Come on up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be scared. The Lord wants to do a work in his church today. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. I'm going to pray. If that's any one of you, I, I ask that you would come on up. And receive what God has for you today. Father God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters and for every single person in this room. Lord, that you desire to work in the hearts of people. Lost people, saved people. You desire to work in the hearts of people and to draw us closer to you. Lord, you want the power of Jesus Christ to be unleashed among your people, and I pray that it will be. I pray that if there are any under the sound of my voice that don't know you and the pardon of their sins, that they won't leave this place the same way that they came. That if it's someone they came with or someone else, myself or an elder or a, a, a godly woman in this place, I pray that they would ask about their need for a Savior and find that you are right there and their suddenly moment can be right now. Lord, I pray if there are others who are struggling in their faith and it just seems like there's no power associated with Christianity, Lord, that you would help them to break free and know the power of God through the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord together. While we're worshiping, if anyone wants to come up,
Just come on up and receive prayer.